Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Bought by the Hour podcast. I'm your host, Jill, and today we're going to cover grooming, what to look for, how to know if it's happening to you or someone around you, and how it happened to me. I can't wait to share this with you. I'm so glad you're here. As always, before we get into every episode, I want to insert a clear content warning. Some of the topics that we can discuss are considered disturbing or triggering, and I want you to please consider this before listening any further. Some of the topics covered can be physical, mental, and sexual abuse, violence, human trafficking, and drug use. So I don't know if there should be a warning or a thank you to those of you who are still here (laughs) for episode two. But I'm super new to this podcast thing. We're kind of learning as we're going here. I've, you know, now that I'm, now that I'm super far into this on the second episode, um, no, but now that I've kind of, you know, I'm learning how this works and how the editing process goes, I don't think I'm going to edit out all of the pauses and the ums and the, because a lot of the things that I say and talk about, they take some processing time, um, especially for me, because I was in the situation and possibly for you, if if the situation is just relatable or if you're an empath. <laughs> and also because I'm kind of dramatic and I like pauses. Just kind of a fair warning. You know, we're going to see how this goes. Feel free to leave comments or voice messages for me um, and give me your feedback. So to actually get into tonight's episode, I think the most important thing when we start talking about grooming at first is to understand how it happens and who it happens to. Um, Not everybody can be groomed. The first key in grooming is finding someone who's vulnerable enough for it to work on them. I think um, this was a hard part for me to accept because ah, it worked on me, (laughs) which is like... Um, I, but I was in a very vulnerable position. I was at a, at a spot where I was living in a, a domestic violence shelter or a homeless shelter. It was kind of both, um, with a child that was very young and I had no options and no choices and nowhere to go. And I really felt like I was at my rock bottom. And so finding someone who not only is super attentive and, pretends to be very caring is a blessing in you know to someone who's in that situation because you feel like you have nobody um the people that work at the shelter they're just there to get a paycheck like they're not your friends even though it seems like it because they're there so much it's you know it's just a very scary situation and the women and the people around you are you know in the same situation so it's kind of like the blind leading the blind around there but I think the second point is that, you know, they manipulate your reality. Um, One thing that my trafficker used to say to me all the time was, you do this already. (laughs) You already sleep with men in exchange for dinner and a movie. So why not do it for cash? Like, I'm not telling you to do anything that you don't already do. So, like, don't act like. And... And it was kind of like, well, I mean, he's not totally wrong. (laughs) And it makes you question yourself. And you're like, am I crazy? 
because you just you don't know anymore especially you know at that point i had been in the situation for quite a while um but that was just a common way that he used to try to use my reality to manipulate me um and then i think the last thing is leveraging fears um my trafficker knew that my child was my main concern and he used that against me a lot a lot a lot both in the grooming process and for the entire time I was there. <laughs> so that's definitely a very common and very realistic uh, part of the process. So whenever we talk about the grooming process itself and how it kind of breaks down and works when it's in a relationship. So the first thing is to target the victim. You know, and we talked about those things that makes that person the victim, what they, you know, the qualifying factors. <laughs> but the second part is then to gain the trust of the person that you've targeted. And with my trafficker, with Jack, <clears throat> you know, um, he paid a lot of money for things. He would support my child and, and it, he made it seem like he really cared. Um, in the grooming process, when we had first started talking, <sighs> He did not give me his correct first name. It was a different first name than, than what his name is. And um, he had like pictures of his work ID that had his photo and his, what I thought his name was on it. <laughs> um, and I, at some point in the conversation, we were talking about income and he was even like, yeah, I'll send you my paycheck stuff. I'll show you how much I make. Like it's, you know. Um, and he did, he said, and it was, I, as legit of a paycheck sub as I would have expected to get. I mean, it, it didn't, no alarm bells went off that I was like, something's wrong with this. Like not at, at one time did I was like, oh, that's fake. <laughs> like it was all very realistic, very, and he was so forthcoming that I never thought to think that maybe he was lying. And so that was, um, you know, just working me up into believing that he was this like great, honest, you know, I'm just trying to be there for you person. Um, and then the third step is meeting needs, which I kind of tied into the last one, especially with the money and the situation that I was in. I was having a hard time finding daycare and a job and transportation because I didn't have a car and I have a baby. And <laughs> so him like financially stepping in for things was a big deal to me. Um, and it, because I didn't have money, it felt like it was a big deal, you know, to somebody who has a lot of money, it's like, whatever, you know, and I'm over here like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it, you know, it's, it spoke a lot for me that he was just so giving and so kind and so honest. And he didn't, he didn't hurt my feelings, but he didn't avoid the truth, you know, and, you know, to, to, try not to hurt my feelings. So there were a lot of aspects that it was like, okay, this, like I've met, I've met the guy. I found him. <laughs> I've met the perfect man. Like, and who I was wrong just so we're clear, but <clears throat> okay. The fourth step is isolation. And so that happened, you know, for me, that happened as soon as I got you know, out of state. Once he convinced me to get on a bus and go 
24 hours away. <laughs> um, that was the isolation point for me. Now the grooming doesn't stop just because I went there. You know, the, I was not like, I didn't go and get on this bus and be like, all right, I'm going to go sell myself. I'll talk to you guys later. Like that wasn't the, you know, I thought this was my boyfriend. Like we had been talking online for months. And then, so for me to get there and then the whole reality of the situation changes in an instant and he had to continually manipulate everything that I was thinking and seeing and doing to convince me that this was all my idea and I was totally on board with it. So the fifth step is exploitation. Oh, that one's hard. <laughs> um, we'll get into it a little bit later. And then the sixth step is maintaining control. Now for, for Jack, it was not very hard. I was in love with him before I even got there. And love is wonderful, but it also makes you kind of stupid. And I was naive and I was vulnerable and young and stupid. <clears throat> not the point, but you know, I, it, him maintaining control did not take a whole lot because I was in such a vulnerable position, but he definitely put in a lot of work. There were several aspects of my life that he still, I mean, did, does, it's an active problem that I, there are aspects of my life that I feel like he still controls. When I was doing some research to get ready for today's episode, I had come across an article on the Polaris Project website, and I've linked that down in the description below, but they go over a lot of these steps and a lot of the, the things that happen with grooming in their article. It's really good to check out. Um, two things that they mentioned there that I thought was really important to bring up here was that, number one, this is almost impossible to spot while it's happening to you. Um, I'm able to look back now and kind of see where, okay, there and there and there, like, yes, I was definitely being groomed. But while it was going on, I didn't suspect anything. And it had, I had never been in that situation before. So I didn't really know what to look for or what the signs were. And then another thing when it comes to sex trafficking, especially and trafficking in general, is that your trafficker usually manipulates you into cooperating in your own exploitation. Um, and this, there are lots of examples of this throughout my entire story that you'll see. Um, and it it's hard, especially once you get out looking back, like, is this my fault? Was this his fault? Is it our fault? You know, where does my responsibility in this lie? And I think that's, you know, one of the mental challenges that I deal with today is, you know, now that I'm out, like, okay, how do I tell my story and take some responsibility, but not blame myself because, you know, I'm, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor, but <laughs> what does that look like? You know, what does that look like in my life now that I'm not currently a victim? So a little bit more about my story with Jack specifically. Um, I think I've mentioned before him and I met on a video chatting app. We sent video messages back and forth on a very regular basis for several months. Um, it was a few weeks into the relationship when I finally asked him like, hey, why are you always in hotel rooms? Like every time you send me a message, <laughs> you know, what's going on? Um, 
And he explained to me that he worked for a marketing company and he traveled around selling their services to different companies and they put him in different hotel rooms all over the country and that's just what he did for work. And so it made sense. He had a name badge. He had the check stubs, I think. Um, he had <laughs> everything that made it seem legit and I didn't have any reason to, to question him or to not believe him. Um, on top of that, he was constantly super reassuring. Um, he was very worried about my child and my well-being and our mental health and you know, just making sure that we were okay, like at all times. Um, on top of that, he was constantly in our conversation, like making future plans that included my child. So it was, there was nothing that was like, oh, he's going to definitely steal me away from my kid and put me in a basement. Um, but you know, there was a lot of feelings that developed very quickly, especially I think, you know, partially because of the situation I was in again, you know, being at, what feels like rock bottom is, you know, a very desperate place. And so to have somebody that was there was, was really comforting. Um, one of the other things that he was always offering to do was to help me get a job. He's like, look in New York, it's different. There's just, you know, a lot of job opportunities and they pay more because it's just a richer place and the business opportunities and all this stuff. And so I didn't take him up on it right away. It took several months of, of talking and grooming and, you know, lying about feelings <laughs> to get me to, to come out there. But it very quickly in the conversation turned into, I love you and I can't wait to be near you. And I love your energy and I love the vibes and, you know, we're going to build an empire together. Um, and then New Year's Eve rolled around going from 2015 to 2016 and the domestic violence shelter that I was staying at decided at the last minute that they were going to change the rules and they were not going to allow anyone to stay out overnight because I guess they just assumed and most likely rightfully so that nothing good really happens on New Year's Eve, especially if you're in a situation where you can't even provide for yourself. Like, I guess they just didn't want everybody going out to party. So um, when I explained this to Jack and how upset I was because I had plans that night and um, you know, he kind of convinced me to leave, to like pack my stuff and take my kid and go. And he's like, you know, you're an adult. Don't let them control you. You know, I can't wait till we're together because when you're with me, you're going to be your own woman and you're fully in control. And that's super funny. <laughs> Looking back, it was like the total opposite. Um, but you know, that left me in a situation where I'm now homeless in the middle of winter with a baby and I've got a car that I was borrowing for the weekend that I have to give back. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not entirely sure what happened. There was about a two week span between when I left the shelter and, but when I actually left to go meet Jack in person and I don't really know what I did during that, that point in time. I don't know where I stayed. I don't, that was, maybe my brain is trying to save me from whatever was happening, but I just don't, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I did about two weeks later, got a friend of mine to watch my son for 30 days so that I could go to New York and meet Jack. And he said he was going to help me get a job and we were going to save up some money. And then we were going to come to back to my hometown and get an apartment we would get my son back and everything was going to be fine. And we were going to be this happy 
family. And that, um, <laughs> that is just not how that worked out. So I can't wait to tell you the rest of the story. I just want to thank you guys so much for coming back for this second episode. I'm so glad that you guys are here and I'm already working on the next one. And I'm really excited for everything that's going to be in there. Um, if you wouldn't mind, do me a favor and share this with your friends. I'm available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Um, getting the word out is the main thing because of my situation. I'm not active on social media, so I'm relying on you guys to help me share this. Um, so if you could just do that, that would be great. And I can't wait to see you next time. Thanks so much.